Well, let's look together at John chapter 17. I'll begin reading at verse 1. We'll read this morning down through verse 7, with verse uh, 7 being the focus this morning of our prayers. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And now they know that everything you have given me is from you. Now we stop there in the middle of the prayer because what we're doing over the past several weeks is breaking down Jesus' own prayer to look at the, the, the various themes that he's using as he seeks his Father in prayer before going to the cross. And to, I think, hopefully help us to understand what Jesus is praying, we've tried to frame it as this is... Jesus' own understanding of what the Father does in the life of a true believer. So we've kind of framed it as this is Jesus' understanding of what a true believer is. After the initial in verses 1 through 5, just Father, glorify yourself as you glorify me as we go to the cross through, to accomplish the work of redemption for your glory. Now he's just rehearsing the glory of God in the work of salvation in a true believer. And what we've seen over the past several weeks is all the way back in in verse 1, we've seen three things in particular. That a Christian is one in whom God has manifested himself to them. Yes, God has revealed himself generally to all people in all places. The heavens declare the glory of God. But Romans 1 says that we have rejected that revelation. But God has overwhelmed, overcome that rejection in the lives of his people and given them a revelation of himself. He's manifest his glory. He's manifest his attributes, his character, who he is. And a true believer is one who God has revealed himself. Not only that, we saw also there in verse 6 that a true believer, a Christian, is one who's, in whom God has set his special claim on them. That is just another way of saying he chose them before the foundation of the world. A Christian is one who God has laid claim upon. Claim this person by grace. I will reveal myself to them. This person will be my child, and I will be his God. And apart from God choosing, no one can be a Christian. It's a work of God's grace so that no man can boast, Paul says. And then the third thing we've seen up to this point is that a Christian is one who has understanding understanding. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They've kept it. They have understanding. They have knowledge. They understand who you are. They understand who I am. They understand that they belong to you by grace through what you are doing in me, Jesus says, through the cross. They have understanding. So a Christian is one who 
God has manifest his glory. A Christian is one to, uh, God has chosen, and a Christian is one who has understanding. Well, this morning, as we look at verse 7, there's one, another attribute we can add of a true believer. Verse 7, now they know that everything you have given me is from you. So here we can say a true believer is someone who has found their deepest satisfaction in Christ. A true believer is one who has found their deepest satisfaction in Christ. Jesus says, verse 7, Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. The disciples have come to a point where, uh, in their life where they understand that it, the Father has laid everything on Christ. So if they are to find hope, if they are to find healing, if they are to find forgiveness, if they are to find anything, they're going to have to go to the one in whom the Father laid everything, and that is Jesus Christ. And what sets these disciples apart, they heard the teachings of Jesus, but so did others. They saw the works of Christ, but so did others. But these true disciples are those who, whose eyes were opened by God to see and to believe that Christ was who he claimed to be. And their hearts were open to see that in Christ is everything they've ever wanted. The word that we have here, now they have come to know, is actually one word in the Greek there. Now they have come to know one word, and it points to this. There has, they have come to a particular point of climax in their life. There is a particular point in their lives where this reality that for the Father, Christ is all. Therefore, for you, Christ is all. They have come to one climactic point in life to where they have received this truth. They responded to it. They believed it. It became a reality to them. In the grammatically here, this one word, they have come to know, is a perfect tense which means a present activity with ongoing results, which just simply means what this conclusion they've arrived at, this reality that Christ is all, it's not a flash in the pan. It's not a, well, today we believe that, but tomorrow he's not going to be enough. This reality that, which they've been brought to, it stays with them forever. A present reality with ongoing results. It was a knowledge that changed them. From the inside out going forward. And what is this knowledge? Now they know, what is it? That everything you have given me is from you. Everything Jesus is, everything Jesus does, everything Jesus possesses that makes what he does acceptable to the Father, everything is brought to him by the Father. It is the work of the Father. And they know that because of this, where else would we turn? Where else has the Father invested everything for His people? There's nowhere to go outside of Christ. All that Christ is has come from the Father. Therefore, no Christ. Turn to Him. A Christian here is someone whose mind, heart, and soul has come to this kind of knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not this Sunday school knowledge where we know facts, even a Nicodemus-type knowledge of Jesus, of right things about Jesus, but the, uh, someone whose mind and heart has soul has come to the point that nothing else can satisfy them. 
I heard it said one time, this illustration, suppose a man is lost in the desert without water. So he's in a desert, and he wants to get home. So initially, he's wandering and stumbling through the desert trying to get home. But the longer that takes, now all of a sudden, his priorities shift. As minutes turn to hours, hours turn to days, and he still hasn't gotten out, now there comes a greater need. Yes, getting out of the desert, but now there's a need for water, a need for thirst. The primary concern shifts away from escapism to now I've got to have water. That becomes the primary concern. Every step taken from this point on is not a a step to get home. It's a step to find water. Every gaze of his eye, every search is a search for water necessary for life. Water that will invigorate his soul. For this individual, just play along with me for a minute. Someone could come to this individual and offer him, here's a million dollars. It's no use to me. I must have water. Someone could come to this individual and offer him fame and position and reputation. What good is that to me? I must have water. Someone could entice him with all the pleasures of the world. What good are they? I must have water. It's the one thing I must have. Nothing else can satisfy. Nothing else is what I want but water. And that, in that illustration is a description of what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who there's not a pleasure, there's not a delight, there's not a position. There's not anything in this world that can satisfy my soul. I must have water. I must have Christ. I must have Him. All those other enticements are but temporary. All those other allurements, they're nice and they're shiny, but in my situation, as God has opened my eyes to have understanding of who He is, of who I am, I must have Christ. And it's foolishness to go after anything. So for a true believer, the longing heart cry is for Christ. You ask Paul what satisfies him. Paul, what, what, is, what satisfies the craving? Philippians 3.10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Ask John, the apostle writer. The apostle writer. What is, what is it that satisfies you? 1 John 1. What we have seen and what we have heard, we proclaim to you that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. This is what we give to you because we'd be crazy to give you anything else. Why would we give you anything but fellowship with Christ if we've tasted and we realize nothing else can satisfy but Him? You ask Peter, what satisfies? He tells us, 2 Peter 1, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. That's that's my hope for you, Peter says. Christ in Christ alone. Would any of these men or anyone throughout church history, would anyone trade that true knowledge of Christ for all the treasures of the world? By all accounts, no. On their deathbed, Christ is all. Why would we turn to anything else their satisfaction was in Christ. And this is what Jesus here is telling us a true believer is. Our hearts and our affections are in Christ. 
So this morning we turn to the Lord in prayer together. Not, in, not as a bunch of individuals praying individual prayers out loud. It's not a time for you to take your own pet prayers and your own pet agendas. And I don't say that insincerely. Those are near and dear to your heart. Those are yours. But we've been brought together and what unites us are not other personal private issues. What unites us is Christ. What unites us is God, His glory. And so together we come and we turn our hearts to God in prayer. We can take this text, pray the text, worship God with this text, give thanksgiving to God for Christ Jesus from this text. From this text, bring it to the Lord, pray it. Lord, we rejoice in Christ. I urge we language as opposed to I language, and I don't know, it slips in there. Not a problem. But we are coming before the Lord together. And even when we pray I language, you're probably reflecting something everybody's going through as well. But I think we unites us. Maybe we use this prayer, these verses, as a prayer of repentance. Lord, if this is what a true believer is, Lord, I have drifted away from Christ. I, I, I know everything that this text says. But that's not where my affections are. That's not where our affections are. Potentially, we as a church have drifted away from this Christ. So we repent. We can use this text to cry out to God. Lord, we're a needy people. And there are temptations everywhere. Allurements, enticements. Show us Christ. Show us what you see. Help us to cling to Christ. We can use this to pray for others. Lord, as we know, there are others in the world. Some that are near to us. Some that we don't even know, but they're struggling. They're in darkness. They're in despair. Physical problems. They're seeking, but they don't know where to turn. Glorify yourself. Show them Christ. Point them to Christ.